When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everyone? It's Taylor Cowles here for CLNS Media, and this is the first installment of a Behind the Enemy Line series where I'm going to be picking the brains of some of my favorite people covering the AFC East to give myself and you, the fans, a better idea of the landscape and what has become a much more competitive division over the past couple years. This year in particular feels like we're uh, bubbles about to pop. We're going to be getting some good football. Um, And thankfully, I have the honor of hosting Connor Rogers to talk about the Jets. Now you can catch Connor on NBC Sports' NFL Draft and Fantasy Football Happy Hour, SNY's Jets pre and post game, and is the co-host of PFF's NFL Stock Exchange. Connor, my man, thank you so much for being on. How you doing? I'm good, Taylor. Thanks for having me, man. A, a nice intro. I really appreciate that. I'm excited to talk to you. A good behind the enemy lines is a good way to put it. It's always right. great to get a feel for a division that honestly, man, might be the most exciting in all of football this year. This is what the AFC West last year was supposed to be. Just like yeah, a right. rock fight. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And it, it uh, you know, kind of fell below our expectations a little bit in some ways, but I think the AFC East will be able to live up to those. This is it. Zach Wilson did his best, but you know, we're not going to get there quite yet. Like I said, we're going to make it more conversational here. Going to hit the big things, kind of do a recap of the off season for these teams. So the fans can kind of catch up on, you know, what's it been like on the other corners of the division. So first off, you know, we say Zach Wilson did his best. He's been replaced by uh, somebody fans may or may not know by the name of uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but overall, obviously that's the headliner for free agency. How would you give the Jets overall in their free agent endeavors besides Rodgers, obviously the other guys they brought in? How do you feel about how they retooled with veterans? It felt like a very slow and steady. They weren't overly splashy, right? You look at what they were able to do by bringing in Alan Lazard, a familiar face for Rodgers. Now you have a pretty deep wide receiver room that has varied skill sets. Garrett Wilson is already going to be locked in as your number one, kind of your do it all threat. When you look at Lazard and Corey Davis, they can play that role of more physical power slot kind of players. They can do a lot of the dirty work run blocking on the outside or in tight sets. They could be possession targets as well. You had McCall Hardman, you get some vertical speed, right? You watch Braxton Berrios walk out the door to a division rival in the Dolphins. Now you bring in Hardman, who has true uh, ver- you know, vertical burner ability as a receiver. I think with Berrios, what you liked about him was his quickness and returning ability, but we didn't see him really work over the top a lot in the Jets offense, and I think that's something Hardman can bring to the table as well. You know, you're obviously trying to stabilize the offensive and defensive lines as well, but they like the talent they have on the defensive line, the offensive line. They went with more of a volume approach. When you look at a lot of the depth they've been able to bring in and then they're just betting on health, right? I mean, the bottom line is, this is a team that lost Mackay Becton last year. They lost Max Mitchell at one point. They lost AVT for the season as well. Dwayne Brown played with literally one shoulder. They had all kinds of different problems. Lakin Tomlinson's play dropped off. Uh, They were able to bring back Connor McGovern for center. They drafted a center in Joe Tipman. They added a reliable backup center in Wes Schweitzer. And those guys kind of had guard flexibility as well. So for the Billy Turner, a familiar face from Green Bay, 
Uh, they played with Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. So a volume approach on the offensive line that that has a lot of variance, right? It could mean that, yes, you have a lot of volume, but how much talent do you have? But I think the number one thing for the Jets was how do we brace for the injuries that are inevitable in the NFL rather than just loading up on star talent at the top and being too top heavy? How do we fill out the middle of this roster with Rodgers coming here? And it always feels like it's offensive line health that always gets in the Jets' way. It's not for lack of effort. They invest, they do what they can, and then it's just rotten luck. And I like that you mentioned the Braxton Berrios, McCole Hardman thing, because kind of project a similar type of like gadget role where they're pretty niche guys, but they got that one skill set where Hardman's maybe not going to juke you out of your shoes, but he'll run by you pretty easy. Um, And you mentioned Joe Tittman, part of the Jets' draft. Uh, so how do you feel that they did with bringing in young guys? Do you think that they, you know, hit the spots that they needed to hit necessarily with the kind of talent that fits their scheme or, you know, what's your thoughts on their, uh, their young overhaul? I think a lot of fans were, you know, underwhelmed at first. And then you have to get over the reality as a fan base that's so accustomed to picking in the top five, the top 10, the top 12 of the draft for how long the star talent's going to be a little different, especially in this draft where the talent drop off was pretty significant about after the first nine kind of players that you'd rank in the draft, not necessarily how they went, but how you would rank in the draft. And when you look at somebody like Will McDonald, Robert Sala's system is predicated on having a stable of pass rushers, rotating them, being able to get after the quarterback with that front four and giving your guys a little bit of help and coverage. This is a team that runs a ton of quarters. They run a ton of cover three. Yes, they are over 20 percent on cover one now, so they will man up. They will blitz at times, but that's just a little bit of something that supplements their defense. It's not necessarily how they live by. So that puts a lot of pressure on the front four to get home. And Carl Lawson coming off the Achilles was okay last year. He was just solid. When you look at Jermaine Johnson, kind of a slow rookie season, not surprising for an edge rusher that his game was predicated on a lot of different power pass rushing, not always finesse. And then you look at Bryce Huff, who was really your situational pass rusher. He was phenomenal. He was the best pure pass rusher they had. So now you add in Will McDonald and you kind of see that same kind of Huff role. How do we get teams into third and long passing downs and let those guys come screaming off the edge? Now we're not one injury away from potential nightmare, right? I mean, what if Lawson gets hurt again? Or what if Jermaine Johnson doesn't take the next step forward? Well, now you have depth behind them to rush the passer. And when you look at the move in the second round of the offensive line, they did a center of the future. When they drafted Joe Tittman, it was a question mark if Connor McGovern would even be back. And they bring him back almost on a vet minimum deal. So now Tittman isn't slotted in to be you know, a starting center from day one, if he's not ready, I think the team is expecting him to be ready, but you have an insurance plan in McGovern who was solid last year, but also you have depth and you can kind of flex those guys between guard and center as well. So I think for the jets, it was making a strength, a bigger strength by drafting Will Mm -hmm. McDonald in the first round. While the second round approach was we need to attack a dire need. We need a center of the future. And they believe Tittman can be that guy. Absolutely. Now you mentioned how they play a lot of quarters and there's a lot of pressure on the big guys to get home, but it helps when you've also got a pretty talented secondary who, if you get that pressure, they can capitalize. Now, can you speak to sauce Gardner's role in the defense? Because with these top corners, there's so many different ways corners can succeed. Like the idea is, Oh, he's got to be manned up all the time. Like a Revis. Then you got a guy like Richard Sherman. Who's no, like I can play cover three and Sherman man sometimes, but I'm a ball hawk. So I want to have eyes on the QB. Can you tell me a little bit more about what sauce's role is? Is Is he the backside guy playing man? Is he the ball hawk, like more of a Sherman where you see him getting eyes and using that length downfield? What does he do in their defense? 
So the great thing about sauce and why some people, including Richard Sherman himself, but that year I did the draft, he was on our draft coverage with us. He thought sauce was very similar to him. And, and I think how that, and I think Robert Sala saw the same thing. And let's not forget Sala went to a Super Bowl, you know, with Richard Sherman as a part of his defense. Yes, Sala very close with Richard Sherman. That's why they prioritize sauce in a way that we're not used to seeing them prioritize corner in this era is the fact that he could do it all. They they felt mm-hmm. like they can mix up their coverages. They could be varied. Salah has gotten very far away from his Seattle roots of, we play cover three, we rush the front four, and that's what we do. You can't be that static in today's NFL. You need to be able to vary it up. And Ulbrich and yeah. Salah really have a fine balance. They are a quarters cover three heavy team. But like I said, over 20% of the time, they also did live in cover one. And that puts a lot of pressure on Sauce and DJ Reed to not only be able to play both man, play off the man, play zone, sit and read the quarterback's eyes. Like you said, Taylor, make a play on the ball, um, be ball hawks, help and run support. But also they do play sides, right? Sauce played mm-hmm. about 900 of his snaps as a left corner last year and only about yep. 50 on the right side. The only time they flip their corners around is when they get goal line red area and they want to throw a different look or they might want him to shade over to maybe a Justin Jefferson of the world or a player yep. like that. That's when they'll get a little bit creative and mix things up, but not a traveling corner in the mold of how we're accustomed to seeing Darrell Revis in a sense, but more in a sense there you play sides, you play in our scheme and be situationally sound, right? There's times where mm-hmm. the jets might live in zone coverage on early downs, try to, maybe have an offense nickel and dime them, but limit those big plays, get into Mm -hmm. a third down situation and then go to man coverage and say, okay, I'm in your face. I'm going to play press. I'm not going to let you off the line in the scrimmage because I trust our pass rush to get home and we'll give them enough time to do that. So I think that's the beauty of sauce Gardner is when you're that big, you're that long. And you also have the IQ to play zone coverage, but the physical ability, whether it's flipping the hips, turning and running the long arms, disrupting, jamming routes in man coverage. That's what makes a really special cornerback in this league. Take your first swig at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times. It's 10 times your first bet amount of bonus bets and up to $200. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose. That's 200 you could spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to be, well, hitting the first home run. All in the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Boston, FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. One thing I also want to talk about, because you mentioned Reed, also Michael Carter out of the slot. It's not just sauce. Like when you look at the numbers, DJ Reed was one of the better corners in football, regardless of what the alignment was. Can you kind of talk about the rest of the depth in the second year? I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'm having fun. We're doing this. Can you talk about the other corners, why they make that secondary so good and what you think of the safeties as well? Because personally, I feel like if there is a weak link, quote unquote, in this defense, because it's so talented, so fast, so athletic, and the priority seems to be top down. Like you mentioned quarters, that entire scheme is we want you throwing underneath, which is what we see a lot from these defenses. So the other corners and the safeties, how do you feel about them in the Jets scheme? And is there someone that, you know, if you were an opposing team, you would say this is probably the guy I'd go at most? Or is it really like more of a pick your poison where it's not going to go great no matter where you go? But, you know, maybe this one guy, you could try to test him. 
No, I, I love that you brought it up. Let's start with the good of that, right? The good mm-hmm. of that is that DJ Reed is phenomenal, and Michael Carter yeah. is very underrated in the slot. We we mm-hmm. felt like at Badlands, our Jets pod, that he might have been dealing with some injuries down the stretch because when you look at the first half of the season and what he was able to do as a rookie before that, he was phenomenal in the slot for them, very sticky player, obviously a smaller player. So when teams mm-hmm. start to motion out their tight ends or power slots, that's where he can get into trouble. But if you're a team that runs a traditional slot receiver, he's very reliable in that mold. DJ Reed, kind of an enigma, right? How many mm-hmm. five foot nine corners are outside corners in today's NFL? He doesn't very, look it. He doesn't look it at all. Yes, because he's very sticky. He loves to mirror and match. He has excellent feet and he has excellent athleticism that he can mm-hmm. play the football in the air with a leaping ability. So that's how you make up for it, right? If you're not, right. look at sauce, he has his arms down to the ground. He, he's always <laughs> in a play What read. It's that when you're that tight in coverage and you have that kind of leaping ability, it makes up for the things that you lack physically. So they've been a really special corner trio to watch, but I love that you brought up the safeties because I do think the middle of the field is often the weakness for this jets defense. I think number one, they're a little limited at linebacker. CJ Mosley's still a really, really good player, but he can't do it all. Quincy Williams is a roller coaster ride of a player. He'll have an explosive tackle or sideline to sideline where he looks like a missile. And you yeah. go, how is this guy not the next Fred Warner or the Fred Warner of the AFC? And then he'll have two plays where mentally there's a lapse there or he misses an assignment or he overruns a play with that aggression. So mm-hmm. I think when you start to attack a player like that, you can find some explosive plays. And you look at the safety play. They just lost Chuck Clark for the year. That's a yeah. massive blow. He was supposed to be the glue guy of the secondary right there. Last year, they mm-hmm. had Jordan Whitehead, who will be back, and LaMarcus Joyner, who was a little bit of a weakness. If you bring in Clark, you think that brings stability. Now you lose Clark, you sign Adrian Amos. It's going to be interesting how those guys complement each other with Jordan Whitehead and Adrian Amos. I think Whitehead, more of a downhill player. Will this yeah. force him to have to play some free safety, play over the top at times? So. I think the middle of the defense is the question mark. It was last year. It was vulnerable at times last year. We know they have a good defensive line. You brought up how good the corner trio is. But if teams start to try to nickel and dime you or, you know, kind of just paper cut you a little bit, you wonder if that middle of the defense will be quick enough to close on those kinds of plays. A good example is Joe Burrow really carved them up in week three last year. And that Mm -hmm. was a situation I looked at the middle of the defense and said, the really good quarterbacks will find that hole. Burrow exposed it. They tightened up at times against the Josh Allens of the world and some other good players, but it's something that they're going to have to prove this year because teams are going to go in that direction against this Jets defense. I actually kind of want to pick your brain a little bit more on Josh Allen, but real quick, because you mentioned the safeties, my first thought as a Patriots perspective is I hope Bill O'Brien's trying to find ways to use Tyquan Thornton and get him matched up against those guys in quarters. Cause I, I think it was the Ravens game where a couple of times they let up big plays like Rashad Bateman. I don't know if it was someone else as well. Joyner. Yeah, or yep. just get that one-on-one because you know that cover four is essentially cover zero when you how it plays out downfield a lot of the times, and that's not a matchup you want to have. But Josh Allen, you said they tightened up. That was some of Josh Allen's worst games last season came yep. against the Jets. There were parts of it where it was like he's just making really bad decisions where it's not even so much that the defense is doing anything. It seems like he's in right. his head. But they also used, again, that top-down approach where it's just like Belichick calls it, get the F back. Where it's like, you're not throwing over our heads. I think the one time they got a good completion was on a route that Diggs had never run that season, where they literally opened the game knowing that Sauce hasn't seen this. We're going to try to pick on him. And that was and it. it was the one play that I think Sauce gave up the entire season where you're like, ah, that didn't look great. But with context, not so bad. What did you see from their game plans against the Bills, against Josh Allen? And how did they keep him in check? 
It's it's a lot of different things, right? Number one, just on paper, they match up really well against a team like Buffalo last year. That and it kind of, you know, trickle effects into Buffalo's draft this year, where Buffalo uses a first round pick on Dalton Kincaid because they know they're such a top heavy offense. And what I mean right. by that is they funnel their pass game through two things: Stephon Diggs and mm-hmm. Josh Allen being Superman. And <laughs> the Jets were able to limit that because they have an elite cornerback and Diggs will get his, but Diggs was also frustrated in that game. And then you look at the fact that if they can kind of attack with their front four, but be responsible and they're an athletic front four, we saw Jermaine mm-hmm. Johnson chase Josh Allen to the edge. We've seen yeah. Carl Lawson pursue Bryce Huff pursue Bryce Huff gave uh, Spencer Brown a really rough time rushing that game. I mean, Brown mm-hmm. could not block him. So I think it's one of those things where they can scatter the field with DBs and they understand not to overrush Josh Allen and force him to make a throw. Let him extend the play as long as he wants, but don't let him take off running all the time and make him force those throws and miss zone defenders that are either underneath or closing from over the top. And Mm -hmm. a lot easier said than done, right? Because it's Josh (laughs) Allen. He just always finds a way to make a play. And he made some throws in that game that Gabe Davis probably could have made a play on and didn't. So I think yeah. when it comes down to it right there, it, you do do you do, you know, kind of apply the bend, don't break against Josh Allen. You try to limit yep. the explosives. But when you have a premium corner that can keep Stefan Diggs in check, who, in my opinion, is a top five wide receiver in the NFL, that's step one to making Allen look elsewhere. And that's something mm-hmm. the Bills, I don't think we're very good at last year. And the addition of Kincaid, they think will improve them a lot this year. Yeah, you mentioned Michael Carter. The Kincaid makes sense. And also, I'm thinking, again, Pat's perspective, Mike Kosicki. Like, the Pats have just right. been going so 12, uh, 12 personnel heavy with the two tight ends. And Kosicki is looking like that slot guy where it's so easy to say, oh, he's just a receiver. Well, sure, but most nickels are about, like, 5'10 at the biggest. So that's a pretty tough matchup, Dalton Kincaid. Not looking forward to watching that matchup. That's going to no. – he's such a good player. I was pissed be a about him. Big problem. So now we've gone very defense heavy, understandably, because they're uh, the Jets are fantastic. Didn't even mention Quentin Williams. Like they're that loaded. We didn't even get to arguably the best player in that front. I think the best player in that front. But looking at the Jets offense. So we mentioned how important health is. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers kind of only touched on that. Rodgers, as we know, has his, you know, nitpicks when it comes to scheme. There are certain things he likes or certain things he doesn't. And obviously with LaFleur, it took LaFleur having success and Rodgers winning MVP to say, okay, you know, maybe I'll bend a little bit with what I want. Obviously, this is a staff that's very familiar with Rodgers and they know what he likes. They know how to maximize him. So do you think schematically the Jets are going to look any different? Like how do they maximize what Rodgers wants to do rather than just like that like 80% RPO offense that they were running last year was all underneath. Honestly, it was like running with the Patriots for one of the most boring offenses to watch and most predictable. Um, And also Garrett Wilson, great receiver. How are they going to mesh? Where do you think he's going to line up? Because I would think with his skill set, he's so good in the slot, but obviously you can put him anywhere. Right. I've been trying to crack this code this summer. I'm, I've been reading the Packers 2020 playbook just to kind of, because that, that's when Hackett, had some so fingerprints on the offense. And, <laughs> right. and you look at, you know, LaFleur, obviously it's his offense, but also Rogers, that was kind of his reclamation and rejuvenation started as well. And, yeah. and then you try to dive into, okay, what did Hackett want to do last year? And Hackett had his problems as a head coach. Those are well-documented. But when you look at what he wanted the offense to do, it's not like the man changed from a guy that had some success in Jacksonville with Blake Bortles, had success with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, 
I'm not saying Hackett's a top 15 play caller in the league, but you, the guy has at least an identity of what he wants to be. And then you look at what I covered last year with the Jets under LaFleur, Mike LaFleur. The Jets were predominantly an outside zone team. I think with Hackett, they want a little bit more balance in the run game of being an inside zone team as well. Hackett, I think, gravitates towards inside zone a little bit more. And then you also wonder, how can the play action uh, how can the play action really open up the vertical pass game for Rodgers as well? And when you start to try to pigeonhole roles, you look at I'm not saying Garrett Wilson is Devontae Adams. That's not fair to any player in the league. But when you look right. at what they're good at, special release package, the way they can kind of uh, be an acrobat with their body and make mm-hmm. plays with timing and run after the catch. There's a real obvious role for Garrett Wilson to be that isolated number one wide receiver in Devontae Adams that commands a lot of attention. And when you have that kind of attention, something that the 2020 Packers saw a lot because of the respect for Rodgers and the respect for Devontae Adams in the past game is that a lot of teams, and this really was a phenomenon last year that everybody opened their eyes to, but this was going on. Teams sit in that two shell, right, where there's a lot mm-hmm. of space between the safeties and the front seven. And I think what that opens the door is the inside zone run game. If your line executes their blocks and you have runners like a Brees Hall, and we'll see how ready he is to go, and maybe mm-hmm. a Michael Carter. How does that open up the box for you? The Jets with Zach Wilson last year saw eight and nine man boxes. I feel like like no other Jets team I had watched. There's no room to go anywhere. There's no room to run. So now with the addition of Aaron Rodgers, the respect that that rapport with Garrett Wilson can command. How does that open up the middle of the field for the run game? And can you start to establish the inside zone run game? And then as teams start to scale and dial in on that, how does that open up the outside pass game as well? I think this will be a screen heavy team. We talked about the signing of McCall Hardman. That's where he comes yeah. into play. And it's not just McCall Hardman. It's Garrett Wilson. Can you get the tight ends involved? They expect a big step up from Jeremy Ruckert. They have Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama coming back as well. So I think it's going to be a really balanced offense because they finally are afforded that opportunity with the young quarterbacks versus the bad quarterbacks they've trotted out for so long. It was easy to take away their one strength they had, which was often running the football and Mm -hmm. forcing them to kind of go outside their comfort zone. And I think with Rodgers and Hackett, they'll be able to vary things up a lot more like those two were able to do at times in Green Bay. And you mentioned the running game. How do you feel about their depth? Because like you said, Brees Hall, if he's ready to go, obviously phenomenal talent. Like I yeah. was on the track to get offensive rookie of the year before he was unfortunately hurt. But it seems like another thing with the Jets, obviously offensive line is the key. If your offensive line is bad, you're not really going to do much, especially for a team like the Jets who like to run the ball. But it also felt like once Brees went down, like Michael Carter, he's got that jitterbug in him where, you know, he'll make people miss, but he's not scaring anybody necessarily. Not explosive. Right. So how do you feel about the depth they have? Like Bam Knight, is he maybe going to have a big year? They obviously drafted. I'm I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Is he a Banacanda? Thank you so much. Okay, because I don't want to sound like a jerk. But yes, all due respect, Israel. Uh, How are you feeling about their backfield this year now that they do maybe have a riser in BAM, uh, drafted a young, talented runner? What are we thinking? A lot of variants, right? I think, and why I say that is, I am on the pessimistic side of Brees in September. And that's nothing against Brees. That's that's against science. (laughs) Unless you want to look at Adrian Peterson. Guys, number one, don't come back that fast, full throttle. And two, in my humble medical opinion, should not come back that fast. The Jets, for the first time in how long? December and January can matter so much to the Jets. And that's when they're going to need Brees Hall. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. Brees Hall doesn't play in September. I don't want Brees Hall touching the ball 15 to 20 times in September. There shouldn't be a need. Then that's where the variance comes into play. Rookie year Michael Carter, ton of promise. 
last mm-hmm. year, bad sophomore season. What Michael Carter are we getting? Does Hackett's run game help or uh, supplement Carter's ability or does it hurt his ability? I actually think mm-hmm. it'll help his ability, but you brought up the lack of explosiveness with Carter. That's a big issue. Is Bam Knight anything more than a special teams player slash third down kind of running back? We don't know. Abana Kanda, a wild card. I thought he was a top 100 yeah. player in the draft. He fell all the way to the fifth round. The guy has four, three wheels. He's 215 pounds. He's 20 years old until he doesn't turn 21 until October. He yeah. rumbled for a million touchdowns and 1400 yards last year for Pitt. If Abana Kanda is this gem that I think he can be, maybe that's not fair as a rookie, but you never mm-hmm. know. Then the running game is fine because you're balancing yeah. Abana Kanda with Brees being eased back in and Michael Carter Bam Knight. If a band of Canada isn't ready to roll, Michael Carter looks like the player last year. It's kind of Murphy's law. Anything that can go wrong does go wrong with the backfield. You might have to get on the line and call Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm not saying those guys are, are going to be heroes for the backfield, but they're vets. They're proven vets, and you know what you're getting. So the backfield has a lot of questions, and I don't think the questions have anything to do with the second half of the season, but you can't come out of the gate and go two and six and expect to be perfect down the stretch to save your season. So right. it's a big deal right now for this team. Yeah. So obviously wrapped up OTAs and minicamp. It's a hard time to really glean much outside of who's where on the depth chart at this point and like so much changes. But what are some of the big headlines that came out of those camps? Is there something that maybe we should be monitoring heading into training camp once things do get more competitive? What are you hearing out of uh, out of Jets camp? Right. Kind of slow and steady and boring because you have so many guys working their way back from injury, yeah. whether it's Becton, whether it's Brees, whether it's Dwayne Brown. I think the things that stand out to me, which are probably like the, the nerdiest lowest of the low, is how the interior of the offensive line is going to work out because he drafted Tipman in the second round. They gave Tipman some looks at guard in OTAs and he was a true center for Wisconsin. So are they saying we just need the guy in the field? I mean, that's something that stands out to me. Is Tittman going to play guard? Is he going to play center? Is he going to start at all? I think they'd really prefer him to start. The other one for me is a deep cut, and that's Jason Brownlee, a UDFA wide receiver that made a lot of plays in UDFAs. My early hunch, I had him as a top 250 player in the draft. He went undrafted. Uh, We'll see what happens there. If that was a mistake by the NFL or not, I lean that it was. I think he knocks Denzel Mims off the roster. I really, really do. I, Finally going to shake him loose, huh? <laughs> I mean, if how long have we been waiting for this? It feels like their top five is set, right? Garrett Wilson, mm. Alan Lazar, Corey Davis, McCole Hardman, Randall Cobb. That's the yeah. five. Do you keep six? And if you do, does Mims get bumped off by a more promising UDFA? That's something mm. that I have my eyes on that maybe doesn't matter this year, but it's something that can matter a lot two years from now. Would you say that he's your potential sleeper, surprise sleeper this year? Or would you maybe pick somebody else in that category where midseason we're going to be talking about a name that no one or the average fan maybe hasn't heard up to this point? So I think deep sleeper to make the roster, that would be my pick. Have an mm-hmm. impact on the year. I don't think Rodgers is dying to need a UDFA rookie wide receiver right. to have a big <laughs> role on this team. And I don't think the Jets are either with all the moves they made. Actual contributor. When you look at how buried he is right now compared to what I think he will do would be Jeremy Rucker, their fourth round tight end pick from two years ago. They restructured Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama. They're going to be here. They're the two starting tight ends. They drafted Zach Kuntz in the seventh round, an athletic freak. Yeah, I think Rucker, I think Rucker's the best tight end on the team. I really do. He didn't get to play a lot last year. He was nursing a foot injury that was lingering from his draft process. You watch him in the preseason. 
You watch him get to play the final game against the Dolphins. He's the best blocking tight end they have. I think he's a solid red zone threat. I don't think you need these tight ends to be dynamic receiving threats with what they have at wide receiver. I think they need to block their ass off. And I think that's what Rucker does. So Rucker would be my pick to actually be contributor despite being buried on the depth chart right now. I like that. So going to wrap things up by hearing from you on what you think the Jets playoff chances are necessarily. Now, give me some reasons why you think they will be a playoff team in 2023 and some reasons why they potentially will miss out. So why they will, Aaron Rodgers is here, and he is so far and away, no matter what you think of him right now, right? Some people are like, well, he's not the MVP guy anymore. That's not the conversation. The conversation is upgrading from Zach Wilson, Mike White, Chris Trevler, Joe Flacco. And how far does that get you? Aaron Rodgers last year, which was a down year for him, is 50 times better than anything the Jets had at quarterback. So that's the obvious, number one. Number two, this defense is really good and it's well coached. They have young talent. They have veteran talent. They have a star in the middle in Quinn Williams. They have a star corner in Sauce Gardner. They have a guy that would be a corner one on most teams in DJ Reed. He's their corner too. CJ Mosley is a great leader. That's it. They have a stable of pass rushers that we went through. That's probably reason number two. Number three is if Brees Hall is ready the second half of the season to be Brees Hall again and Garrett Wilson builds off offensive rookie of the year. They have a wide receiver one RB one combo that a lot of teams dream of that are what, 21, 22 years old. Those would be my three reasons that they make the playoffs. Number four, the the playoffs are expanded now. Is it the accomplishment it once was a little easier? (laughs) The reasons they won't. The offensive line is a massive question for me. I don't think Joe Douglas has gotten it right after four years of trying to build this thing. And some of it's injury luck. Some of it's bad decision making. They went the depth approach this year having rogers actually call checks at the line of scrimmage this year compared to a rookie will make a difference does it stay healthy enough does it perform that's a big question for me number two the middle of the field that we talked about you lost chuck clark and the middle of the field still a little, bit of, a little bit of a question mark anyway can that group button down and really be the unit that isn't picked on while the rest of the defense does the job number three i thought the special teams was really disappointing last year as new england fans got to see not just the punt return, but the Lions returned a punt for a touchdown against them. They run hot and cold with the punt game. The punting was awful. The coverage units were awful. You can't give away possessions and games with special teams. So those are the three big reasons of why they wouldn't make the playoffs, which is pretty unacceptable uh, considering how far they are down the line. And it's going to be everyone's going to be holding their breath that those three things continue to improve. So obviously it's a lot of question marks. It's a lot of things that could happen, yeah. should happen. Football is a game of variance. Exactly. That's why I'm not going to hold you to this, but you got a record prediction for me. What are we thinking this season? I really, if things go the way they should, right. You don't have like a, a torn ACL. That's just an absolute killer to your team. If things go, yeah. and you average injury luck, right. And the jets were a team that they're not even a defense that was good based off turnovers last year. They're not due for turnover regression. They're actually due for, I think more turnover luck. Yeah. I think this is a team that wins 11 games. I really do. And 10 to 11. I wouldn't say like they're mm-hmm. going to win 11 games, right? I think it's right. 10 to 11 based off a couple bounces, based off special teams and health luck as well. But you look at what they were able to do last year before they collapsed down the stretch. If they even had average quarterback play, that team last year wins nine to 10 games. So with Aaron Rodgers here, some improvements year two of the offensive and defensive rookie of the year, you got to get to 10 or 11 wins. You hate to hear it from a Patriots perspective, but I feel bad for Jets fans. You know, I got to have some level of empathy. So hopefully in, you know, longest playoff drought, them and the Sabres right now. It's not a place you want to be. Yeah, no, New York team's struggling a little bit. Uh, But Connor, 
incredible. Thank you so much. Phenomenal. We don't, we don't insights. call the Buffalo Sabres New York, by the way. Just so you, just so you know. No I went to Syracuse to and would constantly, if I heard somebody's like, yeah, I'm from Buffalo, my brain went, oh, you're Canadian. It is yes. so weird. <laughs> they hate it and I get it, but it just doesn't, it'll never register for me. As a fellow New Yorker, that's there. I totally agree. Um, you are awesome, brother. Let the people know where they can find you. If there's anything you want to pitch, the floor is yours. Sure. Uh, God, a lot of stuff. I'll try to be quick. If you, I'm sure everybody listening to this plays fantasy football, the fantasy football happy hour with NBC sports will be back at the end of July. We'll get you ready for your drafts, all the jet stuff. Although you're probably a Patriots fan. So you're probably not that interested <laughs> in that, which is okay. No hate, no problem. All our coverage at SMY as well. So uh, Taylor, man, it's great to catch up with you. I'm glad to see you doing so well. Uh, you work so hard. Patriots fans are so lucky to have you bring their coverage because i know you grind and you kill it man so i'm super pumped for you and excited to see this grow appreciate you brother oh thank you so so much for coming on thank you everyone for listening take care of yourselves take care of each other that's a sweet thing to say right and uh have a great one thank you everybody